Good evening and welcome back to this week's episode of the Mary Trump Show Strategy Session. There are 140 days until the midterm elections and I have a panel of incredible guests here tonight to answer the question, how do we ensure that Democrats and other pro-democracy candidates win and win big in November, uh, not just holding onto their margins, but expanding them if possible? Uh, tonight, I have with me Qasem Rashid, an attorney who's clearly invisible at the moment, a human rights activist and candidate for Congress in Virginia, or he was actually a candidate in Congress in Virginia, which is how we got to know each other. And he's also the author of uh, The Wrong Kind of Muslim and Talk to Me, Gentile law professor at Western New England University School of Law and author of Big Dirty Money, The Shocking Injustice and Unseen Cost of White Collar Crime. Jennifer Rubin, esteemed Washington Post columnist and journalist and author of the book Resistance, How Women Save Democracy from Donald Trump. I have three authors with me. All of those books are worth reading. Thank you guys so much for being here. I'm sure Kasim will, will um, join when, when he can. Um, so it would be remiss of me not to uh, start out talking about these hearings today and talk about them in the context of 2022 midterms because I hear a lot of cynical people saying they're not going to move the needle. Um, first of all, I think it's, they're worth having no matter if they move the needle or not. This isn't about the midterms. This is about holding people accountable and the future of American democracy. Um, but Jennifer Rubin, I want to start with you uh, and get your sense of how you think these hearings are are kind of um, making a much broader case than we might have expected. Uh, they're not just going after two or three people. They're not just going after a party. They're going after uh, a culture, essentially, in which attacking poll workers is totally cool, uh, lying to get your way, cheating, stealing, etc., is not... Uh, a line that they are worried about crossing. So I'm curious what you think, because I think today in particular, in today's hearing, those things became uh, very salient. Well, thanks for having me. Um, I'm a longtime listener, big fan. Um, I think today was a perfect example of how powerful and surprising these hearings have become. Just when you think you've heard it all, you realize you have it. And they do that in a very sophisticated um, communications um, strategy. They bring in each time some new and startling evidence that the plot was worse than you thought, the people involved were operating in worse faith than you thought they were. And that was really exemplified in the introduction and the testimony of Rusty Bowers, who who knew Arizona was um, such a blatant example of election fraud and uh, an attempt to defraud the United States. So on one hand, we are always learning something. And 
by giving that to the press, they figured out, aha, uh-huh, that's how you get the press to report it. You give them a new little bit of nugget to each time and let them talk about that. And so not only are people watching and listening, but they're talking about it on social media. We're talking about it. They're talking about it on sports radio. They're talking about it on Instagram, they're talking about wherever it is. So they create a conversation, which is exactly what we need to have a conversation about this. And I think the other part of what they have done is they have really made the case Trump's actions were not victimless crimes. It's not sufficient to say, well, it all worked out, it didn't work, Um, you know, all's well that ends well. What we heard today were really the story of how he and his mob destroy lives, how they threaten people, bully people, intimidate them, ruin their careers. Um, And that is the markings of a fascist uh, regime. That's what fascist governments do. They use violence and intimidation together with extreme propaganda to manipulate the populace so that they don't have to win at the ballot box. Um, They can rule through intimidation, through Mm -hmm. violence. And what we saw in the incredibly moving testimony today of um, Lady Ruby, uh, Ruby, excuse me, let me get her name right, um, and uh, her daughter, um, was a vivid description that it's the little people who near the burden. Mike Pence was always going to be fine. He had the Secret Service around him, um, and he will be fine in the future. The people who are not fine are the little people, the little victims, if you will. And I use little not to demean them, but to reflect how they think of them, how Trump and his ilk think of them as inconsequential little barriers, people to be um, targeted, people to be written off. Um, And that I think we really got a taste of, and that's why it's so critical that he be prosecuted. We put a target on the backs of all of us by letting this kind of behavior, exactly what you said, Mary, this culture of violence become normalized and become the baseline. And I understand that Merrick Garland was in Poland today. It's a shame. I hope he was watching the hearings. Um, Perhaps someone in his office was. Because if ever there were an argument for why we need deterrence, why we need to hold these people criminally accountable, I think today was it. Yeah, that is such a good point, and that's that's where I wanted to go with you, uh, Gentile. Um, I'm going to call Gentile Jen and Jennifer Rubin Jennifer. Okay. Okay. But just quickly, Cosm, I'm so happy you're able to be here. Uh, thanks for coming. Good to be here. Hello. Great group. Um, yeah, lots, to, lots to talk about. Uh, Jen was uh, one of one of the panelists on my live stream of the hearings today. Uh, if you haven't uh, listened, everybody should go check it out. It was a really powerful panel, I thought. Um, and we were talking about. Uh, or we started to talk about what Jennifer just mentioned, Jen. And I said, um, Mike Pence did his job, sure. Um, but he, as Jennifer said, surrounded by Secret Service and then went right back to being the traitorous little lickspittle he is and is all in and on 
Donald side of things. And, and again, remember, he was doing his job after not having done his job. Shay Moss was doing her job after having done her job for a decade, proud of doing her job. And her job was in a nonpartisan way to help people vote and to make sure that the elections uh, she was part of were uh, free and fair, regardless of what her own political leanings. And that's traditionally what election workers in America have done. So seeing how devastated they were. Um, and you know, I just back to Jennifer for a second. I read your book and I know you were, you were the object of some of Donald's tweets. Uh, you know, he, he said what he said about me, but again, very different circumstances. Uh, these are, are women whose lives were essentially destroyed. Um, and I can't think of a more chilling and more moving example of the real life consequences of what happened on January 6th and the months leading up to it. And certainly the months after Jen. Yes. And um, thank you for having me again, Mary. I guess you're not tired of me. One thing you might not Never. know and Cassie might not know is that Jen Rubin and I have met before now. And in fact, um, although I have seen her in person, um, I think last time we zoomed together was on election night. Um, and we stayed on um, until, I mean, you know, we do all the, we were really freaked out actually, because, you know, that we didn't know, but when Arizona was called, I was doing all the math and I was like, okay, we got, it's okay. We're good. This is going to work. And I think this, you know, Donald realized probably the same thing. Right. Um, but, By the way, I'm, I'm inviting you now for election night. So all of you. So. Uh, okay. <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't know if t the guy who has the handle Daniel, Dan, I forgot his name was, he did the, all the maps and so I could do all my counting. So I'm going to have to have someone else who's got it all pre-counted in advance. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, today, especially when you think about Shay Moss and, and, uh, and Ruby F Freeman, I mean, what a, what a last name. I mean, Freeman, you know, I, you know, you think <laughs> about, uh, you think about who these women are literally, and how they re represent our democracy, and it, and they are the future of the Democratic Party. And um, how honorable, um, how much suffering! I mean, to see the courage, to see Shay even before she was sworn in, how afraid she was to be there, right? But she showed up, and what that is to be shut in. She talked about the effect it took on her health, all this, and yet she's still coming forward and braving that. And, you know, she's had to quit her job and look at Mike Pence just the other day, just to compare it. He's what a what a coward this guy is. He cares more about his dream to run for office um, than he Delusion, does. actually. And then he just it's just what a you know, what a liar that he when he was asked about Biden, he said, no one in my lifetime have I heard lie more than him. I mean, just come on. These are cartoon villains. The idea that you, anyway, but I could just, but I thought, you know, I thought today, um, today was, as Jennifer says, they figured out how to drop one little bit of information each time. And I was blown away today by this hearing, along with the others that preceded it, and how we are getting this legal, this factual, and this emotional communication that was so moving today. Um, 
uh, and I can't wait till the next one. Yeah. I, I mean, I can, I'd like a day off in between and luckily we have one. I think that was one of the smartest things they did was to postpone last Wednesday's hearing because I think it's, it is, it's like a body blow because Gossam, even though we, we don't know all of this and the new information is incredibly riveting and damning and chilling, but we've known a lot of it, but somehow to see it laid out like this, to see how close we came yeah. and to see again, the consequences to people who actually did their jobs in real time, unlike the vast majority of the people testifying mm -hmm. with the exception of everybody today. Um, it is, on the one hand, it's, uh, I, I understand why people numb out. It's, it's very hard to, I was yeah. a basket case for about an hour, the last hour of these hearings. Um, and yet we need to stay connected to this. We need, we need to stay tuned in. But the, my question for you, other than I, I of course want to know what you think of the hearings is what is it going to take? Yeah. I, I literally, that's one of the things that's sort of blowing my mind. I don't, We'll talk about the Democrats and, and what they need to be doing a little bit later. But just in terms of the American voter, mm -hmm. I mean, does, does, do high gas prices and inflation really, if you'll forgive the expression, trump everything else, including the attempt, the violent attempt to overturn the government and the crime and the cruelty? Well, I mean, first of all, um, it's always awesome to be with these amazing uh, thought leaders. So thank you for having me be part of this group. You know, for me, this goes back to the birtherism back in 2010, 2011, and how the Donald was dismissed as some kook, which he was and is, but uh, people of color, um, women, uh, sounded the alarm at that time. I remember Keith Ellison sounded the alarm, and he was laughing on, on live television saying that this guy could win the nomination and anything could happen after that. Um, and then there were the op-eds saying, don't worry, the... The systems will hold. The checks and balances will hold. Don't worry. This is, you know, this is uh, not going to get worse than it is right now. And obviously, all of us who were told that they won't hold were were called the maniacs and the alarmists and the people who are fear mongering and you know the sky is falling and Chicken Little and all the the, the names that we were called. And so my fear with uh, with these hearings being delayed as long as they were you know, to your to your very important question, Mary, of what will it take? was that people are going to have tuned out. They're going to say, these don't matter. Um, it was too long ago. People have short-term memories. And I think that's what the GOP was trying to do or hoping, hoping for. But the one silver lining that I'm seeing, in addition to all the amazing testimony and just the really wonderful job that the January 6th Commission has done, is the recent poll that said 60% of Americans want the Donald to be prosecuted, which is fantastic and incredible because when you just put it in perspective, um, I put it in the perspective of an election. Let's say Joe Biden won with 60% of the vote or uh, Obama or any politician wins their election. You would call that a landslide. You would say that's a slam dunk. It's a mandate. It is undeniable uh, positions from the, the American people. And so that's, I think, what it's going to need to happen. The, the American people need to stay engaged. They need to recognize that this impacts us no matter who you are, no matter what your background is. Um, unless you are the Donald, it impacts you. I mean, it was 
humorous is to watch him throw his own daughter under the bus. But that's just who he is, right? That's just what he's going to do. And so my my hope is that people recognize that this is that time. And I, I might get hate for this, but I, I don't think the GOP is our enemy. I think apathy is our enemy because when you're apathetic, it allows evil forces to come in and do whatever they need to do. Um, and and so, you know, the GOP. If it's not the GOP, it's going to be in some other party. The, the way I look at it is that our standard has to be justice, and the GOP is the party of now. So. From that perspective, if you want to pinpoint that, yes, you absolutely can. But I don't want to um, let folks think that, you know, let's just come out and vote on this election and then thank God we won. Now it's over. No, that that apathy can pull us right back into this over again. And so the 2020 election was the most important election of our lives. Well, guess what? Now the 2022 election is the most important election. Of our lives. And then the 24 election is going to be the most right. important. So I think that's what's going to take. It's going to take people working together activating, mobilizing, organizing, and then transformationally organizing to ensure we're truly protecting our democracy. Yeah. You know well, I, go ahead, Jennifer. You know what's amazing to me? The GOP had and still has a choice. They can have the legacy of this moron, this thug, this usurper of power, or they could have the legacy of Raffsenberger, of um, Sterling, of Bowers, and they choose Trump. That's what's so stunning is they are being given a lifeline. And I think very intentionally um, by Liz Cheney and others to say, you know, yes. you guys don't have to be the bad guys. Be the good guys. All the people who stood up, all the people who are coming through this hearing, at least, um, of course, the Democrats stood up, but the people who are exemplars of public service and integrity are all Republicans. And the Republicans collectively say, ah, the heck with them. We like this guy. That's what's so stunning is that there are moral bearings have been so discombobulated that given the opportunity, the invitation to do the right thing and to choose a different path, nah, we'll stay with a thug. And that's what's so dispiriting, what's so disappointing. And I think it's only when Trump is seen and his ilk is seen as losers, whether they're losers in jail, whether they're losers in election, does that change? Because Trump, as you know, Mary, benefited from this sense of power he could give people, the sense of um, sort of importance and of virility that he could instill in his supporters because they were with him. And if he can be rendered a little meek, you know, orange and orange guy, um, <laughs> then, um, you know, perhaps that will change. But it is stunning to me that the degree to which the committee obviously has thought this through, has obviously decided they're going to target not only Democrats, independents, but soft Republicans. And you still have Republicans saying, yeah, forget it. You know, we'll stay with the, the treasonous bastard. Yeah, I, I think that has a lot to do with the fact that uh, there is a significant minority in this of people in this country who um, were thrilled when they were given permission to be their worst selves. Um, and as you all know, uh, typically the, that portion of society is is 
isolated or at least muted somehow um, and not given any real power. But between 2017 and 2019, they were represented by about 100 percent of the federal government empowered the disease metastasized. And uh, here we are. I just want to say a quick thing about um, what Donald did, which you know, we could have predicted, uh, of course, he's going to throw anybody under the bus, including his children, if they don't toe the line. Um, people focus on the fact that he said she had checked out. What he really did was accuse her of perjury. So that's important because, um, and this is this this is my personal block. Um, we know so much about what a horrible human being he is and how cruel he is to people that he shouldn't be you know, that he knows that people in his life that to whom he is just unbelievably awful uh, doesn't seem to sway a lot of people. But I think that it's worth paying attention to. Um, like if he's going to go after Ivanka, everybody, hold on to your hats. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, Chen, um, we see that one of the strategies here is to call mostly Republican. Uh, in, in fact, I think in terms of witnesses, not just people giving, uh, you know, there have been some committee, I guess they're aides to the committee or whatever, sort of giving explainer videos. But with that, the exception of that, every single person until Lady Ruby and Chamos has been a Republican. Today, for the first time, we had three Republicans who actually did the right thing in real time, uh, unlike everybody else who's testified. And I think that's important because um, it's important if we want to make the case that this is not just Rudolph Giuliani, John Eastman, and Donald Trump. Um, but even with these Three today. And again, I'm grateful to them. I admire their standing up, especially since they did it in the moment and um, gave forceful rebuttals to anybody who uh, was threatening them or their families or their staff members, etc. But they all voted for Donald. And that gives me pause. Jen. What do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, <clears throat> they did vote for him um, and his policies and what he represented in November, but they didn't. But when it came to December and January, they weren't willing to, um, you know, to undermine their own oath of office or their love for the country to keep him in power. So I do think that's a distinction. Yeah. The problem is whether they would vote for him again if he were the candidate in the future. And I think that they would. I, I, I don't know for sure. That's what um, that's what Bill Barr, who did the wrong thing at the time. Oh, go right. ahead, Mary. Well, I just want to shift focus for a second because, yeah, we don't know who, who, who they would vote for. My, I guess my point is um, that we need, I think we need to be really careful going forward uh, about those with whom we make common cause. Because again, um, these people are light years beyond any of the other Republicans who've testified, certainly the Republicans who've refused to. But a lot of what they support, getting rid of voting rights, for example, uh, being the most crucial one, and that would include 
Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. Um, that's a large part of the reason we're here, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so I guess that's, I don't know what we can do about it, but I just think it's worth highlighting, no? No, no, I mean, I think it's very important. And I think I can, you know, forcefully say that I'm quite concerned because of the, we can we can take the guy from Arizona, uh, Cutler, right? Is that who it was? Brian Cutler, who just said his- Bowser. His, Bowser. Oh, shoot. It was the Georgia guy. Close. <laughs> yeah, anyway. yeah. So Rusty Bowser. Sorry. That, you know, there he is, an honorable person. But my understanding is he's also been working. You know, he doesn't want to win by cheating, but he's fine with winning by making sure the rules um, disfavor people who would vote against his candidates. And also to me, that's just creating a game that's unfair, right? I don't I don't like that either, of course. Right. So I don't know how we, you know, that that's a problem. It's it's to overcome all of this is almost overwhelming because one of the this ties back to what Jennifer Rubin said, which is part of the I mean, yes, that I'm sorry, part of the reason why this sort of clean glass of water that they're presenting and saying, why are you drinking from this sewer with your candidates is because the base the people who are excited about getting out to vote, this this sort of, you know, you know, QAnon sort of, I just, well, I don't care about government. I want my taxes cut. That that very rabid sort of angry base is what they actually need, you know. And they're not going to. I mean, people didn't want Jeb Bush. It turns out people did not didn't want. Um, what's the guy from Ohio who's like a, a decent guy? Um, don't whine. No. Who ran for president? I'm trying to think of. Uh, oh, Kasich. People don't want that, right? That's not what the, the Republican Party went from Tea Party to Trump to QAnon, and that's who the base is. So they they have no choice but to embrace that base if they want to win in their primaries. So this is like they're kind of so even though you know you know and so that if you look at what the, what the, what are the policies the majority wants we have a you know resurgence of an interest in unionist union you know union membership we have when you give referenda in the states people want their 15 dollar hour minimum wage what people seem to want i mean the country is kind of a little bit in turmoil about how we see ourselves right and so you know liz cheney is trying to hold on to that her vision of that old traditional Demo- republican party which they, they, there's just not a bet for that anymore. So I don't know, you know, all we can do now, I think as Democrats or people who would prefer to have Democrats in office than any brand of Republican is we, we have to motivate the base, get out our vote. And that's only done by showing strength and conviction for our party's policies. And we're, we have to get out the vote in a way that we've never done before. Because I yes. also, Yeah. I also think we have to, put the Liz Cheney's feet to the fire. You know, the Washington Post, um, which employs me, um, did a, what what every newspaper should be doing, which is explain why this matters. Over a hundred people who are election deniers are running for office. Many of them for positions where they're going to be counting the votes or ruling on counting the votes or have some connection with that. What is Liz Cheney prepared to do about them? Will she come out against them? 
Will she either make common cause with the Democrat or suggest a write-in vote that might split the Republican vote? What is she really prepared to do? Because if she's just going to keep her mouth shut, then she is undoing what she said she was all about. She said she'll do anything to stop Donald Trump from reclaiming the presidency. Well, what about all these other people who are reclaiming offices based upon the same philosophy, the same election denial. So what yeah. are they going to do? And that's kind of been my, you know, little tweak that I've been keeping up. Um, what are they prepared to do? If they won't support Donald Trump, why are they supporting Jim Marchant, who's the Secretary of State candidate in Nevada, who's a complete election denier? So it's a, yeah. It, such a good point. And Kasim, I wanted I want you to, to follow up with that. But uh, before we do that, I, I I want to go back to something Jen said about the Republican base and highlight the fact that today. The Democratic base showed up, spoke truth to power. And once again, it's black women saving our asses, putting themselves on the line, literally putting their lives on the line. And still, I feel that the Democratic Party does not give enough, does not honor its base. It does not empower its base to the degree it should. They take uh, their base, which is, again, primarily black women, women, of, people of color, um, for granted until it's election time. And meanwhile, and I have to, you know, again, we I, Jennifer and I were talking about Republicans in language before we started. And I just realized I fell into that trap. And the media also do this. We kind of say the Republican base, the Democratic base, as if they're equivalent things. They are not. Um, you know, so that is part of the problem, too. Like the Republican base has talked about, like, it's this legitimate entity that it isn't out to destroy America, <laughs> whereas it is. So I just wanted to to make sure that we kind of honored that and honored what was what was represented today um and then kind of as as Jennifer suggested kind of push back against republicans who seem to be showing up now but may not be willing to take to go all the way that needs to to go as far as they need to go right um and like, let's forget how they voted in the past. Let's just doesn't matter right now. What are what are they going to do going forward? And why isn't Ginny Thomas being hauled in front of this committee? And I think those two things are related. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> Jennifer made a really interesting question uh, a couple of comments ago that the GOP has a choice between Donald and between some sense of normalcy, even if we don't fully agree with people like Kinzinger and Cheney, and I certainly don't. I certainly hold them accountable for voting against voting rights and the Equality Act and other critical bills, minimum wage that we need to pass. Um, but, you know, I, I think uh, everybody here knows uh, uh, Dean Obedullah, and he's got a great line that Donald is not an aberration of the GOP. He's a manifestation of what they've always been. There was a poll done of Republicans, and 57% want the United States to be based on the Bible, not the Constitution, the Bible. And this is not a poll from 2022. This is a poll from early 2015. 
And so we're talking that this has been in the works for a decade. And someone like Donald comes along, pretends to be a Christian, and pushes this forward. And so I think the reason why the, the majority of Republicans now aren't willing to kind of pull back and say, maybe this is not what we wanted, is because the scary version is, this is what they wanted all along. And they're not willing to give up what ground they've made on the Supreme Court. And in, uh, as you pointed out, Mary, uh, bringing these people to office, I'm sorry, Jennifer, uh, bringing these hundred folks to office who will select whoever they want as the winner, uh, irrespective of what the actual vote count is. And, and that's why, you know, going back to Mary, your point about the Democratic Party um, and, and our base, we're a minority majority party. Uh, by any definition, yep. we're a minority majority party. Meanwhile, 79% of elected Democrats are white and 65% are men. That's not a minority majority representation. And so it's going to be impossible for there to be meaningful accountability for a party that is 98% elected white and I think something like 89% elected uh, men uh, when the opposition party isn't truly listening to the needs of the base, not listening to black women, not listening to immigrants, not listening to the uh, you know, people from the disabled community, they're not listening to leaders in the LGBTQ community beyond uh, a tokenization. And I think that's where um, kind of the rubber meets the road. For there to be meaningful accountability, we need to have leaders in the Democratic Party that are reflective of the needs and demands and wants of the people of the Democratic Party. Yeah, I, I could not agree with that more. Um, so let's shift gears a little bit. Um, we, as I think is is fairly obvious at the moment, uh, it seems like the Democratic Party has both hands tied behind its back. One, because of structural inequalities in the Senate, the Electoral College, uh, the way voter suppression has gone, uh, and now, of course, <laughs> the Supreme Court. But we can't talk about that because I'll start crying again. Because um, <laughs> apparently there's no such thing as separation between church and state anymore. And that's just today. Um, and then the other hand tied behind her back is tied behind her back by the mainstream media, which seems not prepared for this moment. Um, so clearly we're fighting an uphill battle, but what doesn't seem necessary or inevitable, Jennifer, is the extent to which elected Democrats don't seem to understand the urgency because they are the only people who can who can make this uh, can turn this around, right? Right. It's remarkable to me that at this moment of peril for democracy, the president of the United States, who's essentially the leader of the Democratic Party, is still talking about bipartisanship is still talking about Mitch McConnell being a rational person. What that does is it completely saps the energy and the entire message of this election, which is you have a choice between an America that is democratic with sincere people who are trying their best to work on problems and this crazy violent bunch of thugs. And when Biden does that, he destroys that. He equalizes the Republicans. He treats them like a normal party. And I cannot for the life of me figure out why he keeps doing it. Other than the fact is 
He's 78 years old, and this is the way he's always talked, and this is the world he grew up in, and he hasn't figured out that that world hasn't existed for a very long time. And it's very hard for a party that has the White House to, in essence, run against the message that the President of the United States is putting out every day, which is, oh, look at all these great bipartisan things I did. Oh, look, we can have bipartisanship. Look, we can lower the temp. All this, you know, hooey. No, it's the opposite. Um, You know, this is bizarro world. Um, And the message Democrats have to get it across is this is a choice between sanity and insanity, between elections and violence, between democracy and thugocracy. And unless they're able to make it that clear, they're going to get killed. Um, For one thing, Republicans, you know, will just, you know, scream inflation, 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 even though they don't have any solution for it. And for another thing, they'll just enjoy the cover that they're getting because they're being treated like normal politicians. Why not vote for one of these guys? Just another politician. Absolutely. I, I've, I've, I think I say this every show because it drives me crazy and it's so true. The media treat the Biden administration like a normal administration that followed another normal administration. That's bad enough. And that's why People can think inflation and gas prices are the most important things, even though nobody seems to explain to them that presidents really can't do anything about either one of those things or only to a small degree. When the administration itself <laughs> treats it things like they're normal, um, that is seriously problematic. I mean, I maybe uh, people will disagree, but... Um, I think I've been saying for a while that to bipartisanship is to make common cause with fascists at this point. And I had Ruth Ben-Ghiad on recently, and she started referring to the Republican Party as a party of fascists. So I'm in very good company. She knows a lot more about this stuff than I do. So, Jen, it seems to be epidemic, though. Like, Republicans will just, like, call us pedophiles and groomers and, and go about their business. Somehow, for whatever reason, for Democrats, like collegiality is more important. And we even have Justice Sotomayor coming out defending Clarence Thomas, for God's sakes. It is so demoralizing. So what do we do about that? Um, well, well, there's two things. I, don't, I can't do anything about Justice Sotomayor. Um, okay, but that's true. But I still, mean, it's very frustrating. Other stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I just wish um, that... Even if Biden believes his mandate in part was a return to normalcy, there is a way to talk about returning to normalcy without um, whitewashing. Uh, For example, if you're driving in the car and the parent who is an alcoholic is drunk and they're driving you, it's dangerous. um, And you obviously want, you know, there to be a different person at the wheel. But if, you know, if you have the sober person at the wheel while the non-sober one's still like drunk and smashing and breaking up things and not showing up places, you can't ignore it. The elephant's still in the room, I guess is what I'm saying. And so mm-hmm. what Biden, I think, should be doing is, uh, another metaphor, is, you know, the, the cancer is not going to go away on its own. So right. you got to say, you know, there was, you know, there was someone in charge who was doing a lot of really bad things and encouraging 
um, a lot of graft and corruption and, you know, put some lousy people on the Supreme Court. And we need to take steps to get things back to normal. But I'm not going to pretend I'm not going to pretend that you didn't see what you saw. This was an insurrection that this the tax you know, scam was a tax scam. We're not going to pretend it didn't happen because that doesn't, that, you know, then you're participating in the Orwellian nightmare. And um, that's, that's not okay. It's, it's not. And you're right. It's like, okay, sober person behind the wheel, hooray. But the drunk lout uh, who's violent and abusive is still around breaking shit up. Um, and ignoring that is not going to solve anything. It just, and this is, this is one qualm I have about the committee. I, 17 months is a long time. I think it allowed a certain narrative to take hold on one side. I think it increased the power and reach of this very dangerous movement. So, um, it and is let me just kind say with of, that metaphor, sure. we, also have, we also have the alcoholic saying, I don't want treatment. I wasn't drunk. They took the keys away. They shouldn't have. Give me the keys back. It's like, right, right, right. right, right Give me the keys right. back. They had no right to yeah. do that. And by the way, it's like it also everyone enabling it and saying it's just fine. It's totally fine. It's fine to, you know, drinking and driving. It's just fake news that that's dangerous. Also having, you know, giving guns to kids. I mean, all of it. Like we're in the middle of this kind of world of denial about science and truth and stuff. And so, again, this gets to your, your, your point, Mary, where, where, wait a second, you know, these folks who did the right thing, the very baseline of right thing are also climate deniers, you know, sexual identity deniers, like all this stuff. So I'm, I'm cool with talking about that. I don't want to give them the keys back to the car. And, and we shouldn't. And that, that kind of leads to the next point, which is <laughs> the Democrats. I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh. I don't know what else to do, though. But because seriously, they're getting called groomers and pedophiles. And they're saying, mm, we don't want to go there. Um, critical race theory. We don't want to talk about it. It's not taught. We don't need to engage with that. Americans want to talk about kitchen table issues because I mean, it's just the kitchen table issues right now are inflation and gas yeah. prices, which aren't looking very good for Democrats. So I don't know. I think it's pretty compelling to say children are being slaughtered in schools and they want more guns. Not only do they want more guns, they want to give guns to teachers, yeah. for God's sakes. Um, they are going after LGBTQ plus children in a way that is alarming and should have everybody terrified mm -hmm. uh and roe v wade's going to be overturned and they're looking to make um abortive fashions illegal and i mean it's just on and on and on and uh you know jennifer i think mentioned earlier the numbers six or i'm i don't remember who said this part and i apologize but 60 percent of people now think Donald should be held accountable. Well, we got 90% of people want background yeah. checks and 70% of people want X, Y, and Z. And guess what? We're going the opposite direction. Yeah. So how do we message that? Because yeah. I don't know. Those things seem a little bit more compelling to me. That's not fair. 
let me, because obviously um, I'm in a position, I'm lucky enough to have inflation not have an impact on me the way it does has on many, most people. Um, so I don't want to say that it isn't important. It is. However, any anybody in the Oval Office would be dealing with inflation right now and high ga guys, gas prices. So, and by the way, the best way to combat inflation is with a living wage. So right. that's 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 a that's another bumper sticker. But anyway, um, why? Don't these things these things seem to gain traction because there seems to be so much to work with? Yeah, I mean, I tweeted about this the other day that it's wild to me that we buy GOP outrage on gas as five dollars instead of three fifty, but then we completely excuse the GOP for keeping the minimum wage at seven twenty five instead of at least fifteen dollars. We excuse them for voting to keep insulin at twelve hundred dollars instead of thirty five dollars for most Americans. Uh, we excuse them for blocking paid leave and leaving it at zero weeks instead of 12 weeks, uh, leaving us the only developed country in the world that doesn't have paid maternal and paternal uh, leave uh, when a new, new child is born. Um, I mean, the Democratic Party is a messaging problem. I don't think that's news to anyone. That's rocket science to anyone. I think everybody knows that. We've known that for a long time. But I think that, kind of going back to my earlier point, look, and I'm saying this as a Democrat, as someone who's run for Congress, who's won the Democratic nomination for a congressional race before, a, a contested Democratic nomination, what I can tell you is that yeah, that's how we that's how we that's met. how we met exactly, and, and you were extraordinarily gracious with, with your support then, and as you are now. I mean, I, I guess my point is, and this is the harsh truth, that until we have leadership that can feel the pain of people uh, that they represent, you know, uh, Congressman Anna Pressley says it best: the people closest to the pain must be closest to the power, and that's simply not happening right now. A member of Congress, a Democratic member of Congress, has released a bill proposal uh, on student loan relief. His idea, let children take on that parent's student debt. I mean, this is a guy who's worth tens of millions of dollars himself. And his idea for student loan relief is let, let millennials who are already statistically ready to be poorer than their parents, first time in American history that children will be poorer than their parents, said, here's a great idea. That $100,000 in student loans that parents have, that people 50, 60, 70, 80 years old have, let's just give it to people 20, 30, 40 so that we can continue that generational wealth. I mean, uh, generational poverty. I mean, that is... The to be fair, though, we haven't burdened our children with enough. Yes. So, that's <laughs> so fucking insane. Um, <laughs> so, so I mean, these are the people coming up with ideas. They're not going to be able to articulate why a living wage is important why you have to, you know, I grew up in Section 8 housing. I know what it's like to work when you're 15 to make sure that you could put food on the table because you got a single mom doing whatever she can. And so you can't possibly expect people who are worth tens of millions of dollars to know what it's like to have to go through that struggle. And that goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It has to come down to a mass movement of people and just say, I'm enough of this crap. Let's, let's change this by, by making it happen ourselves. Right. But, you know, they can't even talk to suburban college-educated women, which many of them right. are. Yeah. That, right. that message should be, you are being made into the handmaiden's nightmare of a forced birth slave, essentially. Your kids are going to be in permanent danger if you don't get a hold of, you know, your government. And, oh, by the way, um, 
your kid is going to be miseducated or propagandized about what America is all about. These are really simple, easy messages for college-educated women. Hello, their natural base, which they did turn out in 2020 and which they're losing once again. So even if that's someone who looks and sounds like them and is from vaguely the same economic, socioeconomic group, they seem incapable of making that direct attack, making that sharp, decisive um, break. Now, I do think the media plays a huge role in this. I say that with the understanding that that doesn't excuse what the Democrats are doing. They have an obligation regardless of the mainstream media. But to give you the sense of the lack of symmetry, the right wing has this docile, Pravda-like propaganda wing that will keep their people in the dark. Hearings? What hearings? We don't hear any hearings. Um, that will never let them see the likes of uh, a Ruby Freeman. Um, and on the other side, you have the mainstream media which has Republicans on their shows all the time and asks questions, tough probing questions like, and is inflation a problem for your constituents? None of the responsibility for sustaining this violence, for this lawlessness is ever put front and center. And if it is, they wipe it away and there's no follow-up question. Um, I've often maintained that trial lawyers, not journalists, should be on the Sunday shows because then we would get some answers. Um, But it is that imbalance in the information world that makes it so much more difficult because their people are perfectly insulated, perfectly brainwashed, perfectly controlled, and the rest of the people are being told, oh, those people who are brainwashed aren't that bad, and the people who are brainwashing them aren't that bad, and oh, by the way, you guys caused inflation, and oh, by the way, you know, you're for open borders or whatever else they the Republican talking point is that they regurgitate. If you ever want to be horrified, sit through, as I force myself to do, the White House briefings day by day and listen to the questions that the mainstream media asks. They are regurgitated talking points that accept as truth the Republican premises. And that is frightful. So part of my mission in life is to push these people to do their effing job, to call them like they see them. Journalism we can is swear, by the way, if you okay, if you like. So, journalism is not. Jen says it's raining out there. Mary says it's not. The job of journalism is to open the fucking window and tell people whether it's raining or not. That's right. And that inability to take a side of truth because, well, the Republicans will always look bad. I wonder why that is, that if you're on the side of truth, the Republicans always look bad. Maybe that's the problem. Um, That paradigm has paralyzed them since Trump came on the scene. And they are as paralyzed in that framework as Biden is in his, you know, ancient world of bipartisanship and gosh, you know, it's just good old Bob Dole on the other side. Um, 
So these are real, real institutional problems. And it requires that Democrats do what Republicans never have to do. And that is to the really grassroots work. That's the Latasha Brown, who has to go voter by voter, who has to go neighborhood by neighborhood, has to go state by state. And unfortunately, that's the only way we can do it because the media is not going to do it. Political leaders are not going to do it. So it's people literally going voter by voter. And that takes huge manpower, huge effort. And when the president of the United States is telling you, well, if you lose, it's not that bad anyway, it's really pretty demoralizing. And, and, yeah, and, and we can't be... Sorry, I was going to say, I, I just wanted to echo Jennifer's really important point. Uh, I mean, and shameless self-plug, after my congressional run, I launched a PAC called Common Purpose to support more women and more people of color for office. And two of our congressional candidates, one uh, both women of color, actually, progressives running against establishment candidates, uh, one of them won by 20 votes, the other one won by 76 votes. Uh, and it's because we were pumping emails out, getting volunteers involved in their local districts. And so every single little bit makes a difference. And Jennifer, to your extraordinarily important point, that is what, you know, we are the ones we're waiting for to save us. It's not going to be Garland, unfortunately. It's not going to be the Supreme Court. It's not going to be the White House. It has to be us. That's the only way it's ever been throughout American history. And that's how it's going to have to be now. Yeah. And I I think that, first of all, the this this is going to be uh, the first election since 2020. Well, it is the first election since 2020, period. But COVID is not going to be the same kind of issue as it was. Um, so that that'll be interesting. But Jennifer like points to this fascinating uh, thing that's going on. And, you know, we've been talking about willful blindness a lot for obvious reasons, but it seems to be operating on other levels too. You know, the Democrats not wanting to believe that the Republicans the Democrat elected Democrats, I should say, not wanting to believe that Republicans are are just out to destroy the country. Uh, so they're pulling their punches. Um, and that is not something that will get us to a place we need to be, not just want to be, but need to be. So Jen, given that, uh, given the fact that, that, and, and sorry, and also the media, who, again, seem to think that their job is to treat both sides equally. And by equal, they, by equally, they mean without any uh, <laughs> sense of um, discernment. Uh, instead of saying journalists should be objective as to the facts and bias towards democracy. That seems not to be operative in journalism, generally speaking, right now. So, Jen, willful blindness everywhere, <laughs> which means that we need to refuse to be blind about what's happening and be real about what's happening. Yeah, I mean, and I think, <clears throat> how does that play out when it comes to building relationships well in advance of elections. I've, I've seen Latasha Brown speak in person and she's kind of a force of nature and brilliant, lovely 
person, so motivating. And, you know, she talks about the, you know, if you just show up around election day, that's transactional. It's not inclus- inclusion, you know. Right. Um, and yet at the same time, I've had friends reach out to me saying they're having friends reach out to them. You know, these are you know suburban white women who this is this group of friends of my friend who have the time, the energy, maybe even the financial resources to get involved. And they don't know who to talk to or where to go. And apparently there's so you can go to the wet, you know, the DNC website, but to do that kind of meet with people, you know, there should be more of a template, like should be people having house parties now that we can get together or lawn parties or register people to vote parties or what the hell, you know, there people are very nervous, right? So like Mary, yeah. there's like, I agree with everything you're saying, but there there's a huge bunch of people who will vote for the, the candidates we we hope that they would vote for, but they need to be registered and they need to maybe update their registration because it's lapsed and they need to have a plan, a voting plan, because it's going to be harder to vote. All the stuff that we know, and I know there are lots of people who are saying, I want to help and they don't know what to do. And, and a lot of them no. are in swing states. It's the same story over and over again. And if I don't even know, I have no idea who to tell them to go to. Yeah. Um, well, that's that's actually why I launched my PAC Democracy Defense Fund to help people, to help guide people to races that are the most important if they want to donate or volunteer, because we it's otherwise it's overwhelming because everybody's running, you know, for re-election. Right. Uh so, but you said um the apathy reach out to because there's the base voters but there's also the white women voters who can be swung you know they really hated trump and that's why in places like georgia the low down ballot people won in the republican party but not not trump you know and i think that's disturbing because if they run a desantis he's just as awful he's batting books he he doesn't want people to get you know vaccines and i think you know um at any rate, you know, I think there's an opportunity to to convince the same people who did not people who the, the women who voted for Biden before to make sure they vote for Biden and their kids vote for Biden because they understand what's going on in the Republican Party to strip away our rights. Right. How do we coalesce around around that? Because I think those voters matter. We need to not lose them. And and that gets us back to the problem with apathy, which I agree. Um you know, we can leave aside what we think of Republicans right now, because honestly, it doesn't matter. I, I think we just need to leave them out of the equation. Um, I have a very simple um, metric. Anybody who voted for Donald twice isn't worth talking to. Quite honestly, that's sort of that's sort of how I feel about it. So um, it is inspiring people and helping them understand. And part of that is in messaging. Uh, so I have a segment at the end of every episode of our strategy sessions, which is to help Democrats figure out how to convey messages in a very concise way to their constituents, which is come up with something that could fit on a fucking bumper sticker. (laughs) So, um, I, I think you're all prepared for this. Uh, so it, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but does anybody want to start? I'll start. Awesome. Judge Ludwig gave it to them. He wrote it out. Clear and present danger. Republicans are a clear and present danger. 
period. And not, just on a personal note, is that hard for you to say, Jennifer? Which that which that part Republicans of, are a clear and present danger? Given well, the fact? because I have, you know, it's been how many seven years since I checked mm-hmm. out of the Republican Party, and yeah. I feel with every fiber of my being that that is true. That they have mm-hmm. become a, for all intents and purposes, a right wing fascist party. And that they are a threat to democracy. It doesn't mean every single one of them, but the party as a whole. The That's party right. as a whole. And that, you know, we need we need more of that because uh, you know, we should all appreciate that kind of straightforward assessment, especially uh from somebody who came from the party and uh is still able to step back and be very honest about what's happening. Uh, okay, who's next? Okay. How about I'm with Lady Ruby? Oh, yes. I love that. And in fact, uh, during our live stream and our post-hearing analysis, I said, I, I'm going to make T-shirts. I'm going to make Lady Ruby T-shirts and she can't wear hers anymore. Um, and we're all going to start wearing Lady Ruby t-shirts and I'm going to start selling them and we're going to raise money to protect, um, election integrity. And the, the way to do that would be to support, uh, people who still believe in free and fair elections who are running for secretary of state, um, in vulnerable counties. Uh, cause you know, we're, we're looking at the whole map and, and I, I love that idea and I which she and her daughter did will go down in history or it should. Anyway. Okay. Uh, I, I wish your, I could take, it's your turn. I wish I could take credit for this one, but this is uh Congressman Eric Swalwell. Wait a minute. Uh, I'll I'll own it though. It's really good. Um he All says right. votes over violence. Um I that you know, vote for Democrats because we believe in a democracy that has votes over violence. I think that's it's powerful, it's fantastic, and um, I like the alliteration, too. Yeah, I do. I do. And I actually think these are all of these are printable. Uh, so, um, again, uh, we're picking the best ones. I'm going to design them and start raising money for candidates who are vulnerable, vulnerable incumbents or races that are flippable and mine tonight is, is really simple and it's, it's sort of anticipating uh, <laughs> some other Supreme court decisions. It's literally vote while you still mm. can. Yes. <laughs> so it's a, it's a bit of a downer, but we still have that. Remember everybody be living the privilege of living in, de- in a democracy is embodied by that. Right. Um, and anybody who who seeks to take that right away from anybody is a danger to what we all believe in. So uh, we can never take it for granted. Um, and that's what we're fighting for. So this it's been something of a day, <laughs> I have to say, but I, I was grateful to watch the hearings with other people because I, watching them alone would have been very difficult. Um, and to end the day with the three of you, um, I have to be honest, I wasn't sure how I was going to be able to show up uh, because I kind of felt like we'd all been through the ringer. But 
you you all lift me up. Um, I admire admire all of you. Uh, your work is essential, and your voices are essential. I know we're all coming at this from different directions, but that's the beauty of it, uh, and that is the beauty of democracy. So, Kasim Rashid, Gentab, Jennifer Rubin, I appreciate all of what you do and who you are. I keep fighting the good fight and hopefully you'll be, you will all be back on sometime soon. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Mary. Thank you to that incredible panel. Uh, That was such a great discussion, especially on the heels of a very difficult emotionally draining day. Uh, So now it's time for me to read some of your uh, bumper stickers. And I just want to let you know that um, I've decided that we're going to start running contests. Um, I have a newsletter uh, that's called The Good in Us. And um, we'll put the, the link to that in the show notes. And basically it's just, you know, my, my thoughts about what, what's going on, um, in this crazy country of ours. And it's just a different way for me to communicate with people. Uh, so what I've decided to do is start running contests over there. Um, I'll pick every week. I'm going to pick the best five or 10 bumper sticker bumper sticker ideas that you guys write in and the winner will get a free lifetime membership to my newsletter. Uh, so hopefully that's an incentive for you. Um, and you know, if you go over there, you get to see pictures of my cats and my African gray and my very, very old, uh, leopard gecko. (laughs) Okay. So tonight from Joan, simple to the point, she says, she writes democracy equals Democrats, yes. <laughs> this we cannot argue with this. Um, from Sid, think, care, vote for Democrats. That will appeal to um, a certain segment of the population. It won't. It won't appeal to another. But uh, again, the goal is not a, to appeal to those people who th- don't think that thinking and caring matter. Right. We're looking to motivate people who don't typically vote or who don't have the luxury of paying as much attention as we do. Um, There is, uh, from Dave S., there is no us in fascist. (laughs) From Lynn R., (laughs) make America normal and nice again. Or I may be more normal and nicer because I'm not entirely sure how normal or nice we ever were, but certainly we can do better than this. Um, From Lynn, oh, that was from Lynn R. From Lynn S., forget gas prices. It's our democracy, stupid. Yes. And from Lori, patriots vote for democracy. Um. So please keep them coming. I love I love hearing your bumper sticker ideas. And again, we're going to start. I'm going to start doing this contest on my newsletter, uh, The Good in Us. It's on Substack uh, next week. So, and I'm going to go back through all of the 
uh, since we started doing this uh, to give everybody a fair shake. And that's it for tonight. Um, thank you so much to you for listening to this week's episode of the Strategy Session and to my guests, Jennifer Rubin, Jen Taub, and Kasim Rashid. It, it was such a pleasure uh, to be on with all of them. Um, make sure that you tune in this Thursday for our regular episode with the Mary Trump Show at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Um, that's at youtube.com slash Politicon. And then, of course, next Tuesday, we have our next strategy session uh, also at youtube.com slash Politicon at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. And while you're on YouTube watching, please like the episode, follow Politicon, and click the bell because that way you'll be sure that uh, you get notified every time not only an episode drops, but uh, any of my quick take videos, qu sorry, quick hit videos drops. I'm starting to do more of those because there's, there's so much flippant news uh, that I think it's important that I sort of chime in um, as things are happening. So definitely check those out as well. Um, and... Oh, podcasts. Uh, you can, of course, listen to this in podcast form on Apple or anywhere you listen. And please give the show a five-star review because it really, really does help other people find the show. Um, and that's it for this week. Uh, sorry, for tonight. Come back on Thursday. Um, it's just been a really long week already, and it's only Tuesday. Uh, but I will see you in a couple of days. And in the meantime, please stay safe and be kind. <laughs>